it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. And this is episode number 500 for September 1st, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sherrod. And we could not have the 500th episode without having Bart Bouchot's back. Right, Bart? Yay! <laughs> now, for anybody keeping track, you'll note that four ninety nine is next week. But uh, we're just going to ignore that. We, you were, you were in the uh, earliest stages of this. You were, well, you must have been the first person on chit chat, right? I believe I named the segment there which, when it was a segment in your show. That's right. That's because, right. Because yes, yeah, I used to send you in audio recordings of me talking to myself, and. You didn't think you liked talking to people live on air, and I convinced you to give it a go, and then you did like it. And then myself, yourself, and Steve spent forever trying to figure out a name for the segment. I think it was my suggestion, but oh, goodness me, are we going back a long time now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, this, the original pond is the uh, Atlant- Atlantic Ocean, right? Yep. Well, it's been a, uh, a great fun. I probably should have written down what uh, year we started that, but uh, it doesn't matter. It's 500, and uh, we are back from summer vacation. We didn't intentionally take summer vacation, but as soon as we realized it was stretching out, we said, hey, let's call it summer vacation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, lots of people take a summer hiatus. I, I've never done it on any of my podcasts, but this this has not been a normal summer. Um I, I think actually I, I think it's worth giving listeners a little bit of context because actually the reason I've been so busy is going to impact on what we do in this series in a strange way. Oh, yeah. I so, haven't said this is a programming by stealth episode number 38 oh, yeah. of X. I should say that. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's called uh, the, I've given it the title Taking Stock. Since we've been gone for so long, I didn't want to just jump straight back in where we left off as if no time had passed magically, <laughs> because that's just not realistic. Um, so I work in education. And that means that the busiest time of year for me is, sorry, I work in IT in education, which means the only time I'm allowed to make big changes is between that short window between exams finishing and the next term starting. So my summers are always a bit chaotic, but due to a whole, one of the, you know, the way you have lots of things that could go wrong and you sort of assume that maybe one of them will, but not all of them. <laughs> I had three dependencies that were upstream from me that I could do nothing about, and all three of them got delayed. Oh, no. Which then left me with a complete scramble fest for the second half of the summer, because, well, they're not changing when term starts for little old me, are they? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> you know, there are literally thousands of students on their way to Maynooth in the next few weeks, and they're coming whether I'm ready or not. Oh, jeez. Which is just a slight amount of pressure. So I, I have been programming like mad in that time to get a whole bunch of really important coding work done. And this year, so in previous years, all of that coding work I'd be doing over the summers would have been in Perl, which is probably one of the reasons why I adore Perl so much, because I, I did a lot of Perl programming. This summer was different. This summer, we're completely changing how we do things because we're, well, all sorts of reasons, but one of which is the cloud and there's a different language that's more suitable to interacting with the web and that language is javascript oh so i have been programming in javascript every hour of the day pretty much for well the whole summer now in fact i've been programming in node js Wow. Which means that I'm not encumbered by the slowness of web browsers to join the 21st century. Huh. Node.js 
is perfectly happy to implement the very latest JavaScript standards. So in this series, we've been working off JavaScript uh, 5. But actually, the most latest one is ES7. And Wait a so what happened summer, to 6? Well, 6 is in there too, so we're two versions back. So when we started the series, ES6 was out, but it was new, very new. And browser support wasn't great. And since then, in June this year, ES7 came out. So if you're using Node, even though it's only August, well, September now, you can already use ES7 because the Node people are really on the ball. So I am using the absolute cutting-edge JavaScript. And you know something? They put a lot of effort into making the language better. Oh. And I, I'm having real trouble adjusting to going back to using ES5. <laughs> so one of the things I have penciled in for the near future is to bring us forward one version of JavaScript. Browsers aren't ready to go all the way, but they are ready to go forward a step, assuming we're prepared to do one thing. Ignore Internet Explorer. Not oh, Edge. I don't know, this, Bart. I, you know, I care deeply about Internet Explorer. Are you sure? <laughs> so you're running it inside the VM, then, are you? <laughs> yeah. No. I. You know what? After what they did to the internet with uh, IE, what was it? Five, six? What was the one that ruined everything? Uh, IE six certainly has an awful, 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 awful lot to answer for. Yeah, so uh, after that, I, I don't have any sympathy for IE, and uh, Windows users can use Edge, and it's a better browser, and, and that's much better, right? Let's go. Yeah, more secure, better, faster. There is no earthly reason to stick with that IE monstrosity when you have Edge at your disposal. So, yes, yeah, so we are going to be moving forward to... The version of JavaScript released in the summer of 2016. So I think that's usually called ES6, but its official title is ECMA Script 2016. <laughs> now, so why wouldn't we go all the way to 7? Well, because the browsers are behind, right? Oh, so okay. when we move to the server side, which we will do at some stage in the series, then we can go cutting edge. By okay. which time, realistically, it'll probably be the next version of JavaScript that will be out. But you know what I mean. So um, uh, going to ES6, will it get rid of anything that confuses me? Uh, yes. One of the biggest changes coming your way is that prototypes will be much easier to understand because they added a much, 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 much nicer syntax for defining classes. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Okay. Much more in keeping with pretty much every other language on the planet, much more in keeping with the terminology everyone uses. Oh. Just basically more comprehensible to human beings. Which is no bad thing. No, that sounds uh that sounds lovely. How soon do we get to do that? Um it'll be a wee while, yeah, because we do want to finish our cellular automata and I do really want to finish web forms. Okay. So we have two things that we're working on at the moment, and I really do want to finish those. Then I want to introduce you to the cool new fun in the latest version of JavaScript, and I want to introduce you to a really useful third-party library that's going to just make your life easier called Bootstrap. Oh, and you've talked about Bootstrap to me offline. I have indeed. So something we haven't touched on, which is really vital to the modern web, is responsiveness. So this fact that a, the same web page can render itself differently depending on whether your screen is big or small. 
That's called responsive design. Right. We haven't talked about that at all in the series. Yeah. But it's 2017. That's kind of an oversight. <laughs> well, Bootstrap has a number of cool features, but one, of, but its raison d'etre is to do, in a really human-friendly way, responsive design. Hmm. Okay. It's- and so I really want to teach us that. The other thing it does is, you know the way if you don't put any CSS on a web page, it looks like garbage? Right. The defaults are ugly. Simply including Bootstrap into the head section of your HTML page will make everything on your page look not garbage by default. So even if all you do is just include Bootstrap and don't do anything else, your page instantly looks better. It looks like a 21st century page instead of like something from the 80s. So for no other reason, I am just so fed up of the ugliness of default HTML that I've been itching (laughs) to get people onto Bootstrap. What's been holding me back is that Bootstrap was transitioning from Bootstrap 3 to Bootstrap 4. And six months ago, Bootstrap 4 was too unstable. It's still officially in alpha now, but I have been using it in production for a few months now. It's stable. So we're going to Bootstrap 4. So is that a set of libraries or something, or what is it? It is a library. It is okay. a library. So okay. A library which contains a bunch of CSS and a bunch of JavaScript. Huh. Okay. So jQuery is only JavaScript. Bootstrap is basically a CSS file and a JS file. Huh. Okay. So and it will, you trust me, once you get used to seeing the web through the Bootstrap way where you can, you know, make a heading and it will be a sans-serif pretty font... And you can make a paragraph and it will be a nice legible sans of font and you can make a list and it'll just look good. Without you doing anything, it'll just look good. You're not going to want to go back. <laughs> okay. You're just Not to mention their tables look great for your tabular data and only for your tabular data. I was just rereading that section the other day. Hmm? Yeah, o- tables only are great. use HTML for tabular data. No, only use tables for tabular Wait, data. Wait, I said it backwards. Yes, yes. Not for laying out your document. Um, Actually, the other thing Bootstrap has is a whole bunch of utility, so pre-written CSS classes that you can just use because it's a big CSS file. And and they just make it really easy to do things like columns and basically to lay out your, to lay out the structure of your web page using just really friendly named CSS classes. So just say class equals row. You get, you know, div class equals row. It'll make a new row div class equals call for give you a four unit wide column oh, come Next, on that takes all the challenge out of it <laughs> no it lets you concentrate on the real work and yes. instead of faffing around I, I, I was being sarcastic yes that that sounds lovely i would like to do that <laughs> it is lovely so as i say i'm calling this taking stock so this is this episode is going to be looking back and looking forward so I, I sort of want to do both to sort of get you into where I'm thinking of at the moment. Okay. So if we look back, where we are in the series is we started off with HTML. And HTML's job, it's a markup language. So it's like, it's not even a real programming language. Its job is simply to say, this chunk of text is X and this chunk of text is Y. So this is a heading. This is a paragraph. This is emphasized text. This is strong text. This is a link. This is a bulleted list. This is a numbered list. So HTML is about simply specifying what the content of a document is. Okay. Which is why I keep on stressing the importance of using the right tag for the right thing. 
You don't use HTML to define how it looks. You use HTML to define what it is. Now, the only one and that so, throws me on that is when you get into, well, it could be a div or a span, doesn't matter. That's the one that I always go, well, wait a minute, but what is it? Well, not everything fits. Not every, right. The world is full of categories that don't fit perfectly, right? Okay. Paragraphs are paragraph. That's easy. But when you get into designing a web app where you have some sort of clickable panel, that's not a paragraph. Right? And then, yeah. so basically the catch-all, the misc, the hmm, is... Span for inline tags and div for block level tags. It's basically your misc. It's your catch-all. It's your, none of these categories fit. You are an other. And it's okay to have others. So I'm not sure I ever under, got it until what you just said right now. Let me say that one more time. So span is for uh, inline mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't fit any other definition. And div yep. is for uh, block level block tags. Level. Yeah. Huh. Because we'd always go, oh, span, div, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So the reason there's two of them is because one of them is a block-level misc and the other is an inline misc. Hmm. And that's how I remember them. And then sanity follows from there. So if HTML is only about saying what something is, then obviously we need another mechanism for describing how it should look. And that's when we moved on to learning about CSS, cascading style sheets. And again, CSS is still not a true programming language. It's it's not quite a markup language, but it's also not a programming language. It's kind of hard to categorize. It's a misc in its own way, I suppose. <laughs> and so the CSS allowed us to, to basically make our pages look and lay themselves out the way we liked. Because CSS can also be used to position elements on the page. Yeah, so, I was just playing with the block model that you taught us uh, just yesterday. I was playing around with it, looking at it, and trying to remember how it worked. <laughs> but that was what allowed us to position things within things and to the left and right of things. And Exactly. And the reason that Bootstrap is able to do the cool things that you're going to learn to do with Bootstrap shortly is because all Bootstrap is doing is it's playing around with the CSS positioning stuff. Hmm. It's just... Instead of you typing 20 different lines to do it, it just basically has a pre-written class for you. So what you're doing is you're using someone else's hard work ah. and just saying, yeah, do what he said. Ah, I like that. Yeah, exactly. So, but again, it's not doing any magic, right? So when we use third-party libraries, they don't do magic. They've just done all the stuff that we could do for first principles. It's just that someone else has done it and packaged it up for us. So there's, you know, jQuery isn't magic. It's just someone else's JavaScript many, 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 many lines of someone else's JavaScript in the case of jQuery, but it's just, you could write your own jQuery if you wanted to. You could write your own bootstrap if you wanted to. But maybe some wheels are not worth reinventing. (laughs) Right, right. If we're going to stand on the shoulders of giants, go find their code and stand on them. Exactly. And I I would make a very strong argument that both jQuery and bootstrap are particularly big giants that are particularly tall, I guess. I don't know how, how we take this analogy, but basically they're, they're particularly well-polished libraries that have a good strong developer community behind them, which is very important. Because if you if you use someone else's wheel and it turns out to be triangular, you're going to have a bumpy, bumpy ride. <laughs> so, at this stage in our journey, we had learned how to say what is in an HTML document, and we learned how to make it look the way we want it to look, but we hadn't actually added any sort of 
brains to it. And that's where JavaScript comes in. And at that point in the series, we briefly paused the web, looking at things from a web point of view. We stepped away from the browser and we looked at the JavaScript language in the abstract. So basically, because JavaScript isn't a web language. JavaScript is a programming language that can be used to program the web. But it's also a programming language that can be used to automate things in OS X that can be used within a whole bunch of apps like um, Text Expander. You can have JavaScript stuff happen on snippets in Text Expander. It, it exists all over the place. An automator. And obviously, automator, Node.js. It's, it, it, it's in all sorts of things. So JavaScript and now inside the Omni products. Yes, indeed. Sal Segoyan um, is, is big on pushing that, as you very kindly shared with everyone. Yeah. So JavaScript, the language, isn't a web thing. However, on the web, JavaScript is a really useful tool. So I wanted to learn JavaScript separately to make it clear to everyone that, yes, we are going to first be using this skill on the web. But this skill is not web specific. This is a skill which we will then be applying to the web. And so I was very, very careful to start JavaScript away from the web so that it was clear that the two are not the same, that JavaScript is a thing. And the web is a thing. And yes, you can use JavaScript on the web. But now that you know JavaScript, you can use it elsewhere, too. Hmm. And so we spent quite a bit of time on the core language because we weren't just learning JavaScript. What we were actually learning was the principles of computer programming using JavaScript as our example. Yeah. So variables is a concept that is common to the ball, right? Every programming language has variables. Every programming language has some sort of model for type of variable. Now, they, they all have their differences, and there's, even, there's broad categories of ways of solving the type problem, and different languages do different things, but they all have the concept of variables and types of some way. And so we learn about those concepts, and we apply them in JavaScript. And then we learned about operators, like you know, adding things together, subtracting things. They exist in every language, but we happen to learn about them in JavaScript. And the same with flow of control, if statements, loops, all that kind of stuff. And so we were learning both the basics of programming and JavaScript at the same time. And then we pulled it back to the web. And that's where we met jQuery, because jQuery is a third-party library that makes it really easy for JavaScript to interact with the web. And that's sort of where we are in our story at this stage. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting walkthrough to think back it, it, to, I, I know you've had a vision of the structure of the course, but I've been sort of deep in the weeds going, okay, what do I have to learn today as opposed to where are we going and where have we been? I like that. Yeah. So there's, okay, so I want to walk through each of those three big technologies and do a, a more detailed refresher. Uh, I'm also going to have, this episode may be worth bookmarking because I'm going to have links at the bottom of each of these sections that I think are important to bookmark. And a little quiz to test you. Um, yeah. Now, I want to talk about those links. So, we I haven't explicitly said this, but something I have been hoping to have people absorb by osmosis <laughs> is the idea that as a developer, you don't learn by rote every tag, every attribute, every style property, every possible value, every function call, every argument that every function takes, every API, that's impossible and pointless. What you need to actually learn is the, the vocabulary and the understanding to be able to read the documentation. 
hmm. and to be okay. able to Google for your answers. So the links are going to be to what I consider to be the best references for these various technologies. So that the next time you're sitting there going, which tag was it did a definition list? <laughs> well, you just go to the HTML reference and look for it. Or if you're sitting there going, what was the name of that property to make uh, the, the, the alternative text in an image? Go look at the image tags documentation and read it off. How do I make something bold in CSS? Go look at the CSS reference, get your answer. What what was the second argument to for each on a JavaScript array? <laughs> Go read the docs. That's what a that's what a developer in the real world does. And that's what I'm hoping that we are at a stage now where you'll know enough of the vocabulary and enough of the concepts that you actually can glean information from the bazillions of free resources on the web. That does make me feel better that you say that because I keep thinking, man, this is all in his head all the time. No, <laughs> so it no does what's in my head better. is the concepts. It's, okay. It's, oh, and you, you have to get the concepts. No, no amount of web pages can help if the concepts aren't there because you're yeah. not – they're English words, <laughs> but they're only English words. Whereas in reality, to a programmer, they're English words and programmer words. And until you understand them as programmer words, it's just word soup. It's like, yep. All of these things, I recognize all of these words. I have no idea what that person just told me. I have to say it one more time. I've said it a hundred times on the show that uh, that episode of Star Trek where Captain Kirk goes down to the planet. And he's be- this planet. And he's being attacked by this other captain, and all of a sudden they oh, it's the one with the Gorn. I think mm-hmm. it might be where they where they basically they have to fight together against this this terrible beast. No, it isn't the Gorn. But anyway, they have to fight against it. But the problem is the other captain speaks English words, but they don't make any sense. And he keeps yelling at Kirk, or at, at Kirk saying things like, uh, oh, no, I'm even blowing it it's worse. Picard. It's, not, it's Picard. Yeah, and he's saying, it's so it is the Gordon. He keeps saying, Timbo, when the walls fell, his arms opened wide. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> an infamous episode. It, it, it both very interesting and a completely and utterly impossible language to develop, but a very cool <laughs> concept all the same. And I very use it all the time with, with IT speak in particular. It's like, yeah, those words are English, but they don't mean anything the way you put them together. Yes, exactly. And I'm hoping that now that we're a year and a half or more into this series, I'm hoping the vocabulary is sneaking in to the point where it should become possible to start gleaning ever more information out of stuff you find on the web. Yeah, it, definitely when I was uh, listening to Sal Segoyan and he was showing some JavaScript of what he was doing in the Omni products at uh, Command-D, I didn't follow him, but I was like, oh, that makes sense. I remember that little piece right there. Those are things I've heard before, and I know what that does. Certainly not globally of what he showed, but from what I could understand in the audience, no one else did either, so I didn't feel so bad. Yeah. And the other thing is this is a muscle you're going to have to practice. Yeah. So... You know, initially you're going to have to read these things five or six times before, oh, I see, that's what they mean. But uh, the more you read developer documentation, the more you start to think that way and the more useful it becomes. So, as I say, I'm not going to, to to be rewriting documentation in our show notes in future because I don't need to retype what's on you know, I don't need to retype all the possible arguments to a function when I can just link you to the documentation. Sure. You know, what am I adding by just duplicating what's already out there? And I have kind of been doing that earlier in the series just because, you know, training wheels. Yeah. Well, they're training wheels I'm trying to pull away from. And so that's why these links are important, because these links are to the resources I use every day. 
and to some alternatives in case people have different tastes to mine. But I've marked in each of them which is my preferred resource. So let, let's kick off with HTML. So like we said, it's a markup language. It's for saying what stuff is. It's been around for a while. And what we've been learning is HTML version 5. So an HTML document consists of elements which are nested inside each other. And those elements are described using tags. And the elements come in two distinct flavors. There's elements which have content, and there's elements which don't have content. So the ones that have content are ones like heading and paragraph, because, well, what would a heading be without any content? Pretty pointless. But then you have other tags like the horizontal rule or the line break or the image, which don't have content. And so the difference is a tag with content has an opening tag and a closing tag, and a tag without content sort of opens and closes itself in one. Right, right. Um, tags or elements, and hence tags, can also have attributes, which are name-value pairs. And they go into either the opening tag of an, of an element that has content or into the only tag of an element that doesn't have content. So whenever you see open angle bracket, name of tag, space, something equals something, that is an attribute. So the first something is the name of the attribute, and the second something is the value of the attribute. So h1 space class equals big deal. Well, that h1 element has one attribute named class with the value big deal. An image with an SRC of some file.png and an alt of some image has two attributes, one named SRC and one named alt, with the value some file.png and some image. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, yeah, I'd forgotten the terminology, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I'm trying to get home here, because if the terminology makes sense, then the docs will make sense. Right, right, so i got to remember so the have... attributes is the word for that. Exactly. So elements are represented by tags... And they can contain attributes. Got it. Big picture wise, then, there's another important categorization. You have block level elements and inline elements. And broadly speaking, the block level elements take up the full available width and they start a new line. So a heading is a block level element. A paragraph is a block level element. A block quote is a block level element. Lists are block level elements. Tables are block level elements. You get the idea. Right. And then the other type are inline, and they will affect a subset of the content of a block-level tag. So you will emphasize some text within a paragraph. Right. So the, right. the inline right. tags affect some text in some sort of larger context. And so the obvious ones would be strong and EM, by far the most common, or A, because links are little subsections of things. What about, what about images? So then, yeah, so I say broad categories because there's a third misc category. <laughs> Not all tags fall nicely into inline or block, but an awful, awful, awful lot of them do. So it's a very useful way of thinking about things. So an image can be, can be standalone, like a, like a block level uh, tag, but it can also be inline. Yeah, so by default, it's something called inline block, which means <laughs> it behaves like a letter. Okay. And it, if you think about yeah. it, a letter is in line, but it's a thing that can't be split up. Well, an image is in line and it's a thing that can't be split up. Okay. But using CSS, you have the power to change, right? So you can use CSS to completely override these things. And you can say, don't be a block level element. 
go literally float on top of everything else. There's no HTML tag that floats by default. But with CSS, you have you can turn something from a block level tag into a position absolute and do all sorts of weird things with it you, or make it into a flex box. But you can also do that in, in the HTML. You can say float right or float left. That's not CSS. Okay, well, that's it? not okay. That's yeah. Or a line okay, so right. Float a line was the wrong word. Float was the wrong word. I, I meant like pull it out of the DOM. Okay. A- okay. Out of the the normal flow of the page. Like you can have a menu that sits over everything else. You can't do that with plain HTML. You can do that with CSS. We're saying position absolute. Right, but within the HTML, you can change whether or not it stands alone like its own little paragraph, a fo- an image, or whether it's sort of embedded into a paragraph. Actually, you would do that by setting its CSS property. But I can do it with the HTML uh, tags. With the style attribute, right. which is CSS. So that's style inside you say inside style it. equals blur, that's Oh, CSS. okay. Oh. <laughs> so I always thought CSS, CSS had to be over there in some other, uh, some other file somewhere. No, CSS can be inside a style tag, inside a style attribute, or inside a separate file. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, so my my links at the end of this little section. Now, the first link is to the official HTML5 spec, which is from the World Wide Web Consortium. And you would expect it, to, being an official spec, you would expect it to be dense, illegible, and useless. <laughs> it is dense, but it's surprisingly useful. And that becomes more true when you try to read the spec for CSS or for JavaScript, which are complex, long, dense, and pretty useless. (laughs) But the HTML5 one is actually quite good. If you click on a tag in the massive big index and go read the explanation of what the tag is for and what they were thinking, it's actually genuinely helpful. Hmm. So I'm shocked. (laughs) Because, yeah, well, as a general rule... The formal spec is, it's not human friendly. It's like, it's like a law. It's, it's in a whole right. different language. Right. But the HTML5 one is actually useful. So I put a link to it because it is, you know, I think it was Alistair who told me, no, no, don't be turned off by what it is. Go read it. And I was like, oh, wow, this actually is useful. So, Okay. Uh, the next reference, the next thing I have then is to the HTML reference from the Mozilla Developer Network or MDN, and this is my go-to source if I want to figure out what attributes a specific HTML tag takes and what they mean. I will go to the HTML section on developer.mozilla.org. I will click on the tag I want, and it will tell me everything I need to know in a really easy-to-read format. So I am a huge. That is my go-to when it comes to figuring, you know, looking something up to do with a specific HTML tag. It will be developer.mozilla.org. So that link is there. Another very, very popular resource a lot of people like is W3 Schools, who also have an HTML reference, and it's it's decent. It's just I find it tends to be a little behind the times and tends to teach you like the HTML 3, 4 way of doing things, not the HTML 5 way of doing things, whereas Mozilla is more forward-looking, more up-to-date, more modern. So I tend to go to Mozilla first, but the HTML stuff on W3Schools can often still be useful, and some people prefer their style of presenting things. So it's a worthwhile link to have in your toolkit. Yeah, I've used them both. I feel like I've sort of graduated. I used to use W3Schools a lot. Now I find my link, my questions are going to mozilla.org. Aha, uh-huh, excellent. 
I, I prefer Mozilla that I find I find that like I say, just a little more modern, a little a little more correct, but well, not correct, a little more best practice. You know, W three schools don't lie to you. They're just a little bit in the past. Yeah. Okay, so quick quiz, and this is quick. I only got around to writing two questions because I had hoped to do more, but see earlier comments on time. <laughs> So the first question is really important. There's a snippet of HTML code there, and I need you to, or I want you to tell me why this is completely invalid HTML. There is something catastrophically, fundamentally wrong with this HTML. Okay, so shall I read it out loud? Mm -hmm. Okay, it's got a paragraph tag, then it says this paragraph contains, and then it's got a strong tag, and it says some text that is bold. The strong tag is never closed, so it should be Uh, slash strong. Okay, no. And so uh, should the P. Okay, sorry, you may need to scroll or break it out into a separate window. That did not break itself very okay, nicely. Okay, I can't. Oh. Ah, okay. Uh, I was all excited myself. Uh, all right. <laughs> so it's a paragraph which is open and closed. This paragraph contains, and then it's a uh, strong uh, open tag. Some text that is bold, then it's got an opening emphasis and then a closing strong. Uh, you've, it's because the strongs and the emphasis are sort of jumbled together. You've got one half yes. in and one half out. Exactly. So the way when we did this first, I told you to think about it. It was like buckets and the buckets have to be inside each other. And yeah. here we have a bucket that smashed through the edge of another bucket and that's not allowed. Yeah. So that is exactly what's wrong with it. They're not properly nested. It's not yeah. one inside the other. It's one... <laughs> It's sort of mushed into the other. Not allowed to do that. Okay. Okay. So again, this next HTML snippet, you're going to have to tell the the editor. So okay. the third icon on the little hover thing will wrap it properly. Yeah, I've got that now. Okay. So we've got an open and closing P tag. So that looks okay. Please visit. Mm-hmm. And we've got an A tag. href equals quote. HTTP colon uh, slash bart b dot ie. And we close that quote. Target equals quote underscore blank unquote. Title equals quote Bart site and then my homepage closing a thanks oh i thought i was looking for something wrong with it this i got to re- read the answers yeah quote, but i okay. didn't i I, inten- I knew i knew you'd made that mistake but i was intentionally going to let you continue because i'm hoping you've discovered there's nothing wrong with that okay yes i did and i was going man i can't find anything wrong okay yep. uh so which element is the block level element that's the p tag and the inline one and Oh, which is the inline element is the uh, the A tag. Okay, that is indeed what the answers say. All right, what is the so, content of the A element? Mm-hmm. Is uh, a link? No, the content. What, what's contained oh, it's within an a, that tag? A, uh, it's an href. No, that's what it is. The, the href is, a, is an attribute. What is the content of that A tag? A link. Nope. My home page is the contents. The content is the bit between the opening and oh. closing tag. Okay. Don't remember that terminology, but I believe you. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's the value of the A element's title attribute? It's Bart site. Quote Bart site. Yes. Bart site is the, okay. indeed the value. All right. Okay. So as I say, very quick little quiz there, Good. but I'm hoping that's, you know, reminded you of the, the most important basics. HTML isn't complicated. It's just a matter of reading the docs on what each tag does and putting the tags together in the right order. This is going to go downhill, isn't it, Bart? <laughs> no, it will okay. at the very end. But okay. now we're okay. So the next thing then is CSS. And so by default, your HTML is... Blech. So to give it any sort of style, character, or look, we use cascading style sheets. 
so like with HTML, there's been a number of different versions. We're now on CSS version 3, and that's what we've been doing in this series is CSS 3. So every element in an HTML document implicitly has associated with it many, 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 many style properties. So font minus size, color, font minus family, border. There are hundreds of them. Every single element on the page has all of these attributes associated with it, and the browser remembers them all. And by default, they all have their default value. And you use CSS to change those default values to things you actually want them to be. And so CSS consists of a number of statements. And those statements are made up of declaration blocks and selectors. So the selector says what I should apply the declaration block to. And the declaration block contains one or more declarations, which simply say what property should get what value. So if you look at the very simple example, we have UL space LI open curly bracket color colon red font weight colon bold. So that entire thing, those entire four lines are one CSS statement. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It Just contains a single rule set, which is the bit inside the curly brackets. And it contains a single selector, which is the UL space LI. It right. contains two declarations, color colon red and font weight colon bold. And each of those declarations contain a property and a value. So the property color, the value red, the property font weight, the value bold. Okay. Property and okay. values. Yeah. So selectors is the important is the selectors, declarations, properties and values. Which they're, one's they're the, the which one's a declaration? Color colon red is a okay. declaration. Oh okay. So a declaration says make something, be something. Okay. And then the something and the something are the property and the value. So I declare that you shall be red. That's how I remember it anyway. Okay. <laughs> declare. So really, all CSS comes down to is reading the docs to say what every property does and remembering the rules for the selectors. And you can literally, every single reference on CSS will contain a section entitled selectors, where you can read all the possible selectors and it will describe them to you and show you examples. And it will contain a section called properties where you can read every single property and it will tell you what they do. And ultimately, that's all CSS is, is just look up the selector you need, look up the properties you need, put them together into this very simple structure. There is one other very important concept you have to learn apart from that, which is the concept of specificity. Oh, yeah. Because every element in the page can only have one color, say. But there might be five declarations which could, in theory, apply. So you're going to have conflicts. And you have to resolve those conflicts by measuring the specificity of each conflicting declaration. And then the one with the highest specificity wins. Right. And is the highest specificity the last thing you said? Nope. Ugh. Only if it's a draw. If it's an absolute, complete and utter draw by every other rule, the last thing that... W the, the lowest priority rule is, oh, fine, whatever you told me most recently, it is then. 
Okay. But that that only comes in as like the tiebreaker of the tiebreaker of the tiebreaker of the tiebreaker. That is your like, I am throwing my hands in the air. I have nothing else. <laughs> okay. So the rule is that the absolute lowest specificity is the glow is the um, wild card selector, which is just star. If you say star open squarely brackets color colon red, that will only apply if there is no other selector whatsoever that could apply for the color. Like that is star is just the most generic, most default selector. So it's a useful way to have a default, but it's 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 going to lose most arguments. The next step up the ladder is the name of a tag. So P open curly brackets color colon red. That trumps star. Okay. The next thing up the ladder is a class. So oh. if you say that something with the class boogers should be blue, and you say that paragraphs should be red. Well, if the paragraph has the class boogers, then boogers wins because classes oh. are more important than tags. Okay, got you. And then the final step in the chain, IDs are more important than classes. So and an I- ID trumps a class, trumps a tag, trumps the wildcard. And an ID is that thing after the dot? The, so the dot is a class, the pound is an ID. Or the hash symbol for UK listeners. Say that one more time. The... So period or dot is class and okay. pound or hash is ID. So P dot boogers would be a paragraph of of class boogers. Exactly. Okay. Now, if you have a choice between something which specifies one tag and something which specifies two tags, two tags are better than one tag. But if you have one class and two tags, one class trumps any amount of tags and one id trumps any amount of classes hmm. okay and that's it that's uh, th- that is the whole of specificity pretty much defined there thankfully if in doubt you can rtfm or give it a go and see how it goes <laughs> an actual web page will show you what wins quite clearly uh, in fact the developer tools in safari are great for this because they will show you all the possible css rules and everyone who lost the fight gets a strike through <laughs> and then you just basically read and go, oh, that one's been trumped by something. And then you scroll up and you say, oh, that's where the color of that property is coming oh, from. Oh, that's huh. the way to do it. Therefore, it has more specificity. How do I make the specificity of what I want greater? I need to be more specific. You are more specific and you watch it get promoted. And hey, presto. I love the way Safari developer tools do that. So again, I have some links for you. The official spec, it's not useless but it's nowhere near as nice as the HTML one. Uh, the CSS reference at Mozilla at uh, the, the MDN is actually quite good. But actually, for CSS, I find myself going to W3 schools more often than I find myself going to Interesting. MDN. Interesting. So I have both of them linked here. They're both very good. It's just I seem to find myself, if I'm honest with myself, I find myself in W3 schools more often. So that is obviously the one I prefer. Not sure there's a rational reason why, but I do. so our quick quiz i give you a snippet of css and the same snippet applies to all of the seven questions so we have a selector p which specifies a single declaration color gray we have a selector strong which specifies color blue p strong color green strong.vip color red font weight bold so the first very simple question is how many statements are in that css snippet Okay, so uh, we've got P strong, P strong, strong VIP. Uh, that's going to be four declarations. 
Bing, bing, bing. Yes. Yay. Ha- Sorry, four statements. statements. So how many declarations? Okay, so there are, there's one declaration in the first statement, one in the second one, one in the third one, but the fourth one has uh, two declarations, so we've got four statements with five declarations. Ding, ding, ding. So what is color? C-O-L-O-R. What is okay. it? It is... It's not a class. Nope. Uh, it's not a value, because the value nope. of color is gray. It is a... It's not a selector. Nope. Ah, I had it a second ago. I'm going to cheat and read back up through the notes. <laughs> it's uh, a property. It's property, property. Okay, right. So the color, so a paragraph, one of its many properties is what color is it? Yeah. Okay. So what is bold? Well, you've answered that already. Bold is a value. Right. Okay. So if we take the above CSS... And we say that that's the only CSS that exists in an HTML document. So there's no other rules. These are the, this is the sum total of all the CSS rules. Uh, what color would text in a paragraph be? Okay, so we've got a paragraph tag at the top that says color gray. We've also got a paragraph that tag that says if it's strong, then the color is green. So you haven't right, told so me ordinary, whether it was strong No, no, or just ordinary paragraph. Exactly. I haven't mentioned it. It's just text inside a paragraph. No, okay. other, no mention it, of any other tags. And it doesn't have the... Oh, shoot. What is... No class. VIP. It doesn't have the class VIP. So mm-hmm. it would just be gray. Correct. Okay. Okay. So now we mix things up a bit. So again, same rule applies. This is the only CSS that exists. I have a paragraph, and inside that paragraph, I have some strong text. Okay. Now, so what color is it? That's got to be green because P says strong, color green. P strong is color green. Exactly. So strong so you have inside a, a paragraph is has the attribute color is, I'm sorry, the property color has the value green. Right. So in this case, there are three possible rules that could have applied. We had a, a three-way battle here. P said that the color should be gray. Strong said the color should be blue. And P strong said the color should be green. So why did green win? It's because green has two tags. Strong has one tag. P has one tag. Two tags, better than one tag. P strong wins. Wait, how does P strong have two tags? P space strong. One, two. Wait, P is a tag and so is strong. Okay. Right, so that selector specifies... Two tags. I got you. Strong okay. tags inside paragraphs. So it's better than just strong tags in the abstract. Okay, I got lucky then. I didn't actually remember that. <laughs> okay. Okay, but that's, that's how you count. So there's okay. two tags there. So it's two versus one versus one. So the two wins. It's green. Okay. Uh, again, this is the only CSS in the document. What color... Uh, ooh, hang on, how far have I gotten? What color would okay, strong so text... Seven. So we have, again, we have our paragraph. We have a strong tag, in, an element inside it. And that strong element has the class VIP. That's got to be now red then, because we have strong.vip, color is red. Right. So strong has one tag, which is less than two tags, but it has one class. And a class beats no matter how many tags you've got. Bing, bing, bing. So Ooh. one class beats two tags. So it wins. Okay, I think we should declare victory and skip this whole JavaScript part. <laughs> That's because Bart told me ahead of time that he gave me softballs in these sections, but they're all hardballs and evil in the JavaScript section. Which is because I ran out of time. You're Basically, I wrote the hard, 
I wrote the hard balls first and then I was going to pad them with some soft balls and then I looked at the clock and I was like, oh, I should have been recording a minute ago. Oopsie. <laughs> <laughs> so no softballs, I'm afraid. But anyway, oh, we're jumping ahead a bit. We've got to do a bit of talky-talky first. So okay. we're using ES5. And like I say, the first thing we learned was that in JavaScript, like in every programming language, there are variables. And in JavaScript, those variables can hold one of two things, a primitive value or a reference to an object. They are the only two things that can ever be held in a variable, a primitive value or a reference to an object. So what are primitive values? Well, we have three possible primitive types. Booleans, which are true or false. Numbers, which are numbers. Or strings, which are one or more characters. So those three things, they can go into a variable and they're primitives. Everything else you can store is a reference to an object. Which means that in JavaScript, an awful lot of things are objects. Arrays are objects. Objects are objects. Functions are objects. Regular expressions are objects. Basically, if it's not a Boolean, a string or a number, it's an object. Hmm. And that is both the power and the confusingness of JavaScript there. Not all languages behave like that, but that is how the JavaScript people... Now, you said that two different ways. You said is an object, but sometimes you said it was a reference to an object. So the variable can... So, okay, so the thing in the abstract, an array is an object... Mm-hmm. But if you say var x equals some array, what's oh, it's a actually reference stored, to an yeah, what's actually okay. stored inside x is a reference to the array you've just made. Okay. So you store a reference, but the thing is an object. Gotcha. Okay. Now, objects come... So at their simplest level, you have plain objects. They are nothing more than a collection of name-value pairs. So a plain object contains... You can call them name-value pairs or key-value pairs. I'm not sure which nomenclature you prefer. Yeah, they both but seem that to make sense. Yeah. Then you have this... You can take things to the next level, and you can associate a prototype with an object, and then it becomes an unplain object. It becomes a prototyped object. And... A prototyped object has its own properties and it inherits a whole bunch of stuff from the prototype. So as soon as you say that you're, you're making a, an array, well then it inherits everything from the array prototype comes into your object. And you're basically saying, I'm one of those. So you just magically get all of that stuff because you've said that you're one of those. If that makes sense. Yeah. So the key word for declaring a variable in JavaScript is in JavaScript 5 is var and the key word for saying build me an object of a prototype is new so if you see the word new you're getting a prototyped object so var x equals new anything new buggers new whatever you know that what you're getting is a prototyped object and the prototype is whatever comes after the word new right so okay that feels cemented good Shockingly. The next thing we have is operators, and they're very straightforward. So we have the assignment operator, which is simply the equal sign, which we have learned to say as becomes, becomes equal. equal to. Then we have arithmetic operators, plus, minus, star, slash, star being multiply, slash being divide. We have comparison operators, double equals, not equal, less than, greater than. And then we have Boolean operators, not, and, and or. 
Now, because JavaScript is loosely typed, our equality, our concept of equality is not as straightforward as you might imagine. <laughs> so the double equals operator checks if two values are the same, regardless of their type. Is that where it's so, like the number four versus the word F-O-U-R? Not the word F-O-U-R. The string containing the digit four versus the number four oh, okay. will be considered the same by double equals. Okay, not the string F-O-U-R, but the string four. Exactly. Okay. Whereas triple equals will not consider the string that is the digit four to be the same as the number four. So triple equals is more strict. Not only should you be the same value, you should also be the same type. Whereas both double have to equals be numbers is, or both have to be Boolean or both have to be string. String, exactly. Okay. They have to be the same type and have the same value, right. whereas double equals just cares about the value. Okay. So double equals is a looser sense of equality. And then the other important thing to remember with the, the two equality operators is that they work at the primitive level, which means that they understand booleans, numbers, strings, and references to objects. They don't understand objects. So if you have two objects that represent that contain the same values, they will not be considered equal by either double or triple equals unless they're two references to the exact same object. In other words, they're only considered equal if the reference is the same. Okay. In other words, they're only considered equal if they are the same object. Huh. And that is useful to know because it means that equals is not as powerful as you think once you move into object land. You can't check if two arrays are equal to each other with double equals or triple equals. Huh. You've got to compare every element in the array. Right. A bit more work to do. The next thing we come to then is flow of control and really for us that means the if statement or rather the if else statement where the else is optional but they you can never have an else without an if. So they're, you know, they're sort of a unit, right? The if else. We also met the while loop, its friend the do while loop, and the for loop. Right. So there are flow of control operators. Uh, we can also declare functions in two ways. We can say function, name of function, open round bracket, define some arguments, open a squarely bracket, do some code, close the squarely bracket. Or we can say var name of function equals the keyword function, immediately open your parens, give your arguments, do your curly braces. There are just two ways of declaring a function. They're both as valid as each other. They're off, they have the same effect, but JavaScript allows us these two choices of syntax. The advantage of the second is that the name becomes optional. And therefore, you can have a function which exists but doesn't have a name, which we refer to this kind of thing as an anonymous function because it, it's a thing, but it has no name, so it's anonymous. Uh, we also know that functions are objects because if it's not a boolean a string or a number it must be an object right that means that you can have a reference to a function and you can save that in a variable or you can pass it as an argument to another function and when you do that we we use a special word we call that a callback so whenever you pass a function as an argument to a function the word you will see used in developer documentation is a callback. It's nothing special. It's just a reference to a function. I'm really callback glad you reiterated that because I knew you had taught it to us. And uh, the other day when I was working on the homework, I was sitting there going, callback, callback. What was that again? <laughs> so a reference good. to a function. Okay. That's it. Um, 
not to the same function, just to any other function. Exactly. So in other okay. words, this function wants to be told something about another function. And maybe what the function will do is it will call that function that you pass it as an argument or it'll do something with it. But all, all it means is, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a number, a string and a function. Yeah, arguments can be anything. It could be an array or a function. And if it's a function, we call it a callback. It's just, an, it's, it's, it's just a jargon thing. It's nothing more. And then the last thing we learned about is that JavaScript supports exception handling through the two keywords, well, sorry, the two sets of keywords, try-catch, they come as a pair, or throw. So try-catch lets you do something which might cause an exception, and then if it does cause an exception, catch the exception so you can deal with it. And throw allows you to cause an exception. So try-catch catches them, throw causes them. And that's a better way of error handling than necessarily doing printing and stuff within your functions. Yeah, I still get a little bit fuzzy on try-catch. I know okay. I know how to throw an error, but I'm not sure we actually ever practiced try-catch. I know we talked about it a lot, and I know Jill talked about it a lot, but I don't remember... Oh, yeah, we did a lot of homework on it, precisely because you said to me about five times that we never do try-catch, so I included yeah. it in your homework. Apparently you to it didn't do it. stick very well, did it? Uh, no. Okay. We're going to see more of try All Right, so when you're making prototypes, you're only interested in throwing. You're mostly interested in throwing. Mm-hmm. When you're using someone else's code, when you're using an API, you're mostly interested in catching. So we've been spending a lot of time creating prototypes because that's something that we felt the need to practice, which means that just by necessity, we've been spending a lot of time throwing errors. When we change gears and start using APIs from third parties, which we definitely will be doing as the series goes forward, that's going to flip on its head and we're going to spend very little time throwing errors and we're going to spend all of our time catching them. And in fact, the more we learn about web forms and the more we let those dumb users interact with our code, (laughs) the more we got to do try-catch. Because if it came from the user, it could well be garbage. And so you do everything, you know, if you're using user input, stick it inside a try block because there's every likelihood you're going to need that catch block. (laughs) Okay, so that's where you catch it and go, yeah, that was really cute. You can't write boogers there. I told you to give me a number between one and ten. Exactly. Okay. So basically, okay, try to helps. do the thing that may go wrong. If it goes wrong, in the catch, you write the code that says, well, what do I do now? So if you're writing a GUI, it's a web app, it's probably put up some sort of bright red message. If you're writing some sort of terminal app, it's probably just going to be print an error message and die. But whatever it is, when something goes wrong, the catch block says, how, how am I going to respond? I've got to do something here. What am I going to do? Okay. Uh, so we're going to look in, at jQuery in more detail in a moment, but I do want to mention we have been using third-party. I've been going out of my way to make use of third-party code because that is so part of being a developer. You don't reinvent the wheel all the time. You make use of other people's hard work. And so just off the top of my head, we have been using jQuery a lot. We also used URI.js when we were doing stuff with URLs. We used Moment.js when we were working on our clocks. We use QUnit to do our testing, and we're using JSDoc to do our documentation. They're all third-party libraries, so we have been using a lot of other people's libraries. Yeah, I like that. So in terms of links, MDN, hands-down winner here. I haven't even bothered linking to the official ECMA (laughs) spec for JavaScript because it's utterly pointless to do so. 
Um, MDN wins completely hands down. There's also a decent reference on W3 schools, but I don't find it nearly as useful as the MDN one. Uh, and then I have links to the developer docs for AP for URI.js, Moment.js, QUnit, and JS doc. So on to our quick quiz with the proviso: there are no softballs; they never got written. So if I get half credit on one of these, I'm considering it a victory. That sounds good to me. Okay. So question one is all about seven lines of code here. So the very first, this isn't even one of the official questions, but just reading through that code, what are we doing? Var x equals open squirrely bracket. Some more stuff, close squirrely bracket. We've defined an array. Because we've got... X is an array? Are we sure about that? Well, you put a bunch of name value pairs in there. You got a colon. Right. So what are name value pairs? Name value pairs are not arrays. Arrays are lists. So a name value pair is an object. Well, everything's an object except a number, a boolean, or a string. So this is a plain object. X has no prototype. X is a plain object. So it's only name value pairs. So So arrays aren't plain objects? No, arrays are objects with the prototype array with a capital A. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So a squirrely bracket means a plain object. So X is a plain object. So how many name value pairs are there inside X? Okay, we've got A colon, C colon, and J colon. I'm going to go with three, but I bet that's a trick question. Nope, that is perfectly correct. There are three name value pairs in X. Okay. Is there a reason we only ha- we have three squirrely brackets? Shouldn't there be four? Oh no, there's the fourth one. Never mind. There's the fourth. Yeah, they okay. match. All right. I good. copied and pasted it into uh, into the dev tools in the browser to make sure. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> okay. So there. Okay. So just to say, so X, we're defining an object X. Property A has the value string B. Property C has the value array containing string D, string E, string F, and another array which contains string H and string I, and property J is a function. Right. Which says console.log this.c30. Where 3 and 0 are both in square brackets. So let's start easy. What will be the output from console.log x open square bracket the string A close square bracket? I'm going to take a wild guess and say it's the string B. Correct. What? I got one. Yay, victory. We're done. <laughs> I think you may even get the second one, too. All right. So what's the output of console.log x dot a? The only guess I can come up with is string b. That is correct again. But I don't so know there are why. Two, okay, so there are two ways to dive into an object. The dot sign means go into the object, and whatever comes next is the name I want you to go look at. Ah, right, right, right. And the, the square bracket also means dive into the object. So we have two ways of getting out the property. So, the, 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 yeah, the, the name value pair, A. Okay. So we can either say square bracket the string A or X dot A. There are two ways of getting to A. So okay. that's the point of those two questions. Okay, so... I'm ready for the third well, one. I'm on my game, Bart. All right, so console.log x.c.length. Okay, so I got my variable x. I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to look at c, and I've got one, two, three. Please say it's four is the length. Yes, it is, because you have three strings and one array. So that is 
four things. The fact right. that that fourth thing is itself an array doesn't change the fact that it's a fourth thing. Right. Okay. Cooking with so, gas. What's the output of console.log x open square bracket the string c close square bracket open square bracket the number three close square bracket dot length? Okay, so that says I want to start with my variable x. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look for the key or, or the name c. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the three means the third position, which is not really the third position. It is the fourth position because the first position is zero because they hate us. Very good. So I'm going to say that dot length would then be that array that's taking up the fourth position, which would has two values in it. So I'm going to say the number two. Correct. Woo. <sighs> nah, number five is the tricky one because it has uh, the magic word this coming into play oh, here. So I, I have no trouble. That'll be fine. <laughs> What's the output of x.j open round bracket or parens close parens? So what's happening here? Okay, so what does the round parenses mean? We haven't seen round ones really yet, have we? We've been dealing with square ones until now. So what's this round one going to do? I, let me walk through what J says. So he's got x.j. So x is our variable. Our, our third name is J. Its value is an anonymous function, which says console.log, which just means splat this on the screen, this dot C square bracket three square bracket zero. Okay. Well, the very first thing is, I was hoping you'd say is that those round, those parens means execute the function that you find. Oh, yeah, they do. They do. I remember that. So the that. first thing is, so I haven't put a console.log around this. I've just said x.j open close. So the J open close means run this function. So what's going to happen is it's going to go into X, find the J, and then execute it with no arguments. So then the question becomes, okay, so what happens when it executes, which is line five? So what does line five do? It's going to splat something on screen. Hmm? I have no idea. This dot square bracket three square bracket zero. I don't have the vaguest guess. So this is the object I am contained within. So this, in this case, is X. Hmm. Okay. Right? J oh. is a property of X. So oh. inside J, this it's gonna is going to be X. FD. Well, no. So. No? Not FD. So, okay. So we start and we go into C and we find an array. And then we're told to get the third. Which is F. No, that's the second. Oh, yeah. Well, F2 it's not zero. the second. It, 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 we're not told to get the third. We're told to get... The position, position that they three. call three, which is actually H. No, which is another whole array, zero, and then one. we're told to go to element zero in the array. Oh. Which is H. H. So if you follow through the rabbit hole, this means the object I belong to, which in this case is X. C, okay, we go to C. Three means, okay, the fourth element. Oh, look, I'm at another array, zero. Ah, the first element. Okay, I got an H. Okay. So you can still you have to follow it through the rabbit hole, but it is followable. Yeah, yeah I see it now. Don't think I'd do it tomorrow, but I see it now. <laughs> yeah, that's evil, right? That 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 question one point five. That's evil. That is that is evil. <laughs> You're punishing us for taking a summer vacation. Okay, but you don't disbelieve me, right? No, so, I don't at all. No, no. It it I can get there. So we're, so we're doing okay. Yeah. Okay. So next thing is what? Okay, so now we're on to question two, a whole separate code snippet. Uh, so what will the following code snippet print to the console? And 
why do you think it'll do that? Okay, so can I read it? Yes. All right, we got var x equals four. Mm-hmm. We have a function uh, called do something that mm-hmm. doesn't have any parameters going into it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that function is var x equals five console.log x. Mm-hmm. So it would seem to me the do something function might print the number five, except it says var x equals four above that. But then it says, below that it says console.log x. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, console.log x would print the number four, and then mm-hmm. you have do something with parentheses, that would give you five. Absolutely correct. And so what's the reason for the two different well, values being printed? Because the var x equals five is inside the function do something, so it only exists inside there. So console.log x, it doesn't know about that one that's inside do something. It only knows about the one that's outside that we declared before the function. Correct. And then when you say so do words, something, well, the only thing it has is the one inside because it doesn't know really what's going on. It, well, it could know what's going on outside, couldn't it? It could know what's going on outside. But it has a but new it has, one. Oh, exactly. oh, and I said equals. I should have said becomes equal to. So Maybe. even if uh, var x becomes equal to four, we just said inside the function var x becomes equal to five. That means it's not four anymore. It's five inside the function. Yes. So from the function's point of view, it has its own x, which is completely different to the x on the outside. And we haven't changed the value of the x on the outside, which is why, I, you know, it's, it's a whole different x. It's just, just while from we're our inside. Point of view, yeah. From our world view inside this little bubble, x is 5. But if we hadn't written var x becomes equal to 5 inside the function do something, mm-hmm. x would have been 4 on the inside, wouldn't it? Yes, it would, because you can yeah. see out. You can never Can't see, see in. in. Yeah, I got that one. I nailed it. Okay, so what that means is that you understand variable scope. So that's really good. That's really important. Okay, so which means actually you've probably got a pretty good chance of the next one as well. Yay. So what will the following code snippet print to the console and why? Okay, this one says var x becomes equal to 4, function do Mm -hmm. something, and x is the input to it, console.log x. And we finish that function. Then it says console.log x. And that says do something five. So now, you've, when you describe line, could you describe line two again? Okay. We have a function, do something, mm-hmm. which takes as its argument x. No. It names whatever you give it as the first argument x. Oh, okay. Oh, that's an important distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, okay. it is. So it's going to name whatever you give it x. Yes, it is. And then it's console.log x. So it's going to take whatever you give it, name it x, and then spit it out. Right. So outside of the function, we have console.log x. And that one doesn't know what's going on on the inside. So x, it must print 4 on the screen. Yes, it does. And then do something, 5, that's got to print, uh, that's got to print 5. Yes. Okay. When you name some, when you name your arguments, it's equivalent to saying var x equals something inside the function. So you yeah. have created a second x. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's something you've tripped on quite a few times, which is why this example's here. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad. I'm glad you did do that because I do trip on that, and it's it wasn't cemented. It might be. It might be uh, at least hanging by a stickier thread now. I like it. Good. All Good. right. Okay. And then we have a final fairly obtuse one. So I'm going to let you say it. I'm not going to hint you. I'm going to see how far we get here. All right. <clears throat> Var, x becomes equal to 4. I'm with it so mm-hmm. far. Now we've got an open round parenthesis. Mm-hmm. 
which bothers me a little bit. I don't know what that mm-hmm. means. Uh, so I've got an anonymous function, and then mm-hmm. an anonymous function says var x becomes equal to 5, console.log x, and then it closes squirrely brackets, closes that weird parenthesis that I don't understand, mm-hmm. and then I've got another open and close parenthesis. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't remember seeing anything with just parentheses on the roundy parentheses on the outside and then a pair of roundy parentheses. It's probably some other function I'm invoking or something. Oh, that, oh, two parentheses like that. That invokes the function. Right, it does. In other words, you're invoking whatever comes before it, and those parens before it are just there to hold together that function so that it, it's syntactically correct. So that is a self executing uh, anonymous function. That okay. function has no name. And it executes immediately because of those last two parens. So I actually got that part right. So it's just going to write five. Exactly. Ah. But, That's and, it exactly. And you would have to put the parentheses around the function? Yeah, because otherwise you get a syntax error. Okay. Huh. Because you, you, ja- the JavaScript that. parser just has no idea what's going on if you don't group that function inside parens. Okay. These weren't as bad as I thought, Bart. They're pretty evil. Really? I'm not really? as dumb as I look then. Like, if I were to put those on an undergraduate first year exam, I'm pretty sure I would trip up 75% of the students. Wow. So I'm and above average. <laughs> like, I would, go to, I would be the talk of the town. They would all be in the pub afterwards <laughs> complaining about such an, what an evil sod I was. <laughs> Seriously. That, that makes me feel really good. Excellent. I mean, I didn't get them all um, right, but I got I got close. I, I and I remembered say, that those two parentheses were the self-executing part. I mean, yeah, yeah, which is great. So it is. We are we are making really good. I, I'm I'm really impressed. Oh, actually, wow. Genuinely. I got to tell you, I often feel like I'm I'm the dunce in the class. No, 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 no. Definitely, okay. not. definitely not. <laughs> you haven't had the pleasure of teaching undergraduates. <laughs> Well, yeah, that is part of the problem. Is all my all my friends uh, between Jill and Helma and Dorothy? They're they're all programmers who are now learning this language or knew some of it already. So maybe that's why yeah. I feel so dopey. But they always help me, so it's good. Yeah, you know, developers learning a new language is very different to Humans. neophytes learning to program. <laughs> well, I do right. have that Fortran four with Watt five from nineteen eighty two under my belt. Let's not forget that, Bart. Is Fortran the one with colon equals for assignment? I have I don't even remember. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, so before we wrap up, just just to quickly mention that we have been doing a lot of jQuery stuff. So just to remind you, the jQuery is a third party free and open source library, and what it does is it interacts with something called the document object model or the DOM. And the DOM is a bunch of JavaScript objects created and maintained by the browser that represent the HTML elements in the page. So if there is a paragraph in the page, there will be a a matching element in the DOM. And if that paragraph contains some strong text, there will be a matching strong element inside the P element inside the DOM. And you could directly manipulate the DOM. I could have taught you that. You would hate me (laughs) because the APIs are horrible. And because there was a vacuum to be filled... It was filled by many different third-party libraries, not just jQuery. However, of those third-party libraries, the one 
One of the top five is definitely jQuery, and it is the one of the top five that best matches my sensibilities. And also it has a feature that I think makes it really strong. So in jQuery, you use strings that are the same format as CSS selectors to tell jQuery what parts of the document you want to alter. So you already know CSS selectors because we learned CSS. So jQuery just completely piggybacks off our knowledge we already have. And when you want to use jQuery to create new elements and inject them into the page, you give it HTML strings. And you already know HTML. So to pull to, to access specific parts of the page, you use strings that are just like CSS selectors. And to make new bits in the page, you use strings that are just like HTML tags. Great, I know those two things. <laughs> Therefore, jQuery is an advanced, you know, jQuery is a good choice because it lets me use those two things. Uh, and then the other really basic stuff is jQuery. The entire jQuery API is presented through a single variable named jQuery. And by default, that single variable named jQuery, or fun sorry, single function named jQuery, and that single function named jQuery by default gets an alias of dollar to allow you to save space in your code. So instead of having to write jQuery open parens, blah, 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 you just write dollar open parens. It's just a way of shortening your code because you would be writing jQuery a lot. And I didn't get a chance to do any questions for you on jQuery because I ran out of time. So I have oh, one darn. link for you, the <laughs> API docs. So I just want to finish up by saying where I want to go next. I want to whet your appetite. So definitely we're going to finish off HTML forms. We're actually very close to finished. The only piece we're missing in HTML forms is form validation. That's kind of an important piece, though, because human beings have a terrible tendency to talk garbage at you. So we definitely need to look at how to deal with that reality. Uh, we have half-built cellular automata. We should really, you know, bolt the last bits of those on. Um, and that will bring us to a pretty big milestone, actually, where we will have covered all of the HTML I plan to cover in the entire series and all of the CSS I plan to cover in the entire series. Hmm. And it, initially, I had planned it to also be the point where we had finished with all of the JavaScript I plan to cover. But now that I've decided we're going on to learn ES6, that's not true anymore. Um <laughs> But hey, it'll be fun, particularly the class keyword, which is going to replace prototypes for you. And you're going to love classes. They're much nicer. And then I've already talked to you about why we want to do Bootstrap next. So Bootstrap is definitely next on the list, probably in parallel with learning ES6, because Bootstrap is front-end pretty stuff, and ES6 is JavaScript brain-hurty stuff. So they're nice to balance off each other. And when you have that done, we need a project. I haven't decided on what that project is going to be. Okay. Um, but we're definitely going to have some sort of fun project. Maybe we'll have lots of little projects. Maybe we'll have a big project. I genuinely haven't decided. But we practice. We're going to do practice. We're going to learn to make web interfaces, which means to make a web interface work, you need HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. The triumvirate working together, cooperating with each other. Otherwise, it doesn't go. And we haven't done enough of that yet particularly your HTML muscles are very weak at the moment because we haven't looked at those in months and months and months and months. Mm -hmm. So it's a, we need to do all three together. So that's uh, definitely, definitely what I want to do at some stage. Then when much time has passed, I want to move on to looking at things from the server side, which means we're going to learn about Node.js, which is JavaScript on the server side. And I really want to introduce you to databases. 
Because oh, I think I would love you'll enjoy it. And databases power the web. So once you go onto the server side, you need databases of some sort. So I definitely want to talk about databases. At some stage, I also want to talk about source control because the more code we write, the the bigger of an issue it becomes to manage that code. And that's where tools like Git come into play. And so we should talk about those at some stage when we're ready. When we're, <laughs> basically, when we have enough of a problem that we've hit a pain point, I want you to feel the pain and then I'm going to solve the pain. <laughs> because that way it makes sense. And I think at some stage, probably when we have done Node.js, I think it's time to hammer home the point that we have learned two things. We've learned the concepts of programming, and we've learned JavaScript, which means that we can now much more easily transfer to another language. And so I think what we will be doing is moving to PHP to prove the point that you know two things. You know JavaScript and programming, and you will very quickly know three things, JavaScript, programming, and PHP. And it will be way easier to learn PHP than it was to learn JavaScript. Really? Because you know how to program. Okay. And that, I think, will probably take us to 2019. So I think that's pretty good future planning there. <laughs> yeah, you've got a roadmap anyway of where we're going. Well, i got to tell you, Bart, the last uh, 37 installments, this has been fun. Uh, you're definitely keeping me challenged. You're keeping me out of the bars, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is unfortunate. Um, but I want to thank you for, for being with me and with the audience through 500 episodes. I know they haven't all been you, but uh, if it weren't for you, this uh, none of this would be happening. So I want to thank you for your uh, continued help and the awesomeness that you are for this show. Well, I honestly don't think I will be able to have as much fun podcasting and to create as useful a content without the partnership we have together. So I appreciate, I appreciate that every bit as much as, as vice versa. And that, uh, that always surprises me and delights me. So I guess, uh, I guess that's it until uh, we meet again tomorrow to talk about security bits. Yeah, uh, 70, I have 70 news stories to digest into a sane, sensible conversation. That'll be fun. All right, sounds good, Bart. Anyway, until the next time we speak, happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal, or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at Podfeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.